Welcome to MindLob, the hive mind antidote for conservative Christians that want to form their own conclusions. And now your host, Ken Carroll. Is materialism the great God killer? We're going to explore this question on this episode of MindLob. I want to dive into this question fairly quickly because there's a lot of material to cover. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to materialism. And for a lot of people, they look at materialism as a given fact. And so I think we need to really dive into this. We need to seriously ask the question, where are we in terms of an atheistic, materialistic uh, worldview? And are we just kidding ourselves when we entertain a concept like God or the book of Genesis? In tonight's discussion, I will use the word materialist and atheist interchangeably. The reason I'm going to do it is it's just in my train of thought. So when I use those terms, I'm using them in the context of a person that believes in materialistic evolution and would not ascribe to the idea of a God. I got first interested in evolution about two decades ago. I believed that it was pretty much a fact. I mean, it was in all the textbooks. Um, It seemed that all the intelligent people were pretty much assuming that evolution was the true way to go and that religion was being entertained and more or less something tolerated for people who were afraid of mortality or for people that wanted to cling desperately on to some religious um, myth or some traditional belief system for whatever reason they wanted to believe it. My interest when I first started diving into evolution and looking at different religions, you know, when I first started to do it, uh, I really didn't care what the reality was. I just kind of wanted everything to kind of seem coherent. I wanted to seem consistent, and I wanted to make as much sense out of my existence as I could make. So I really wasn't biased in the terms of being worried about my mortality. You know, if you look at what Jesse Ventura was quoted at one time uh, saying, he said religion is for weak-minded people. Now, when we look at that statement, then it would imply that, you know, these people want their fairy tales, you know, people who want to follow a Christian faith or anything like that, they're they're, they're doing it more for those reasons of just not wanting to own up to the idea that one day their life will end, everything ceases, and that's just the way it is. But then I noticed the rest of his quote, and he said that he lived by the golden rule. And it didn't take long for me to realize that there was an incredible incoherency to his belief system of atheism and materialism, but yet he ascribed to the golden rule. Now, in atheism, there is no um, objective golden rule. It's just not there. And so it wasn't hard for me to see quotes by Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or Christopher Hitchens. And these quotes, although they sounded really good, once you dove into them, you're like, they're borrowing other worldviews. They're borrowing from something else. And so at that point, 
I knew that either whatever conditioning that materialism brought in, that no human is, is able to escape it. It doesn't matter if it's a person who is aware of it or not aware of it. You can't escape the gravity of that subjective moral construct. And so what that did was that made me start to go down a road of, okay, is it truly subjective? Or are there objective terms that we all kind of get? And to me, I don't see any way around it, which is the two previous podcasts is where we're kind of looking at this idea of there being an objective reality. And if there's not, then how do we come to terms with the subjective reality? And as I dove more and more into this atheism-theism debate, what I would find was that the facts were not what was debated. Now, when I say debate... We have to understand something. This is not just atheist and theist fighting over the different factors involved in this uh, world and how it was created. There are debates between atheist and atheist, and theist and theist, and theist and atheist. And so there is not a collective agreement. Now, in the abstract, there are some agreements, but even people who research, there are theistic evolutionists. I mean, it's all over the map. It truly is. And so I thought that was interesting, but, you know, whenever there were these these things which you could hang your hat on, you could say, you know, I think this is evidential, then, you know, I would I would lean toward that. And then what I would notice was that the debates between different groups of people were not in the established, more hard evidential aspects of uh, archaeology or whatever. The actual debates were these chasms between the points of evidence. And it would lie in the interpretation between those points. And so I found it very interesting as I would listen to both the atheist and the theist as they made their points. Then the next thing I would notice is a language barrier between theist and atheist. You know, when one group would, would use one set of terminology and another group would use the same word, but the word would necessarily transcend both groups or you would have that intuitive meaning, i.e. it's not good or it is good, you know. It's like, okay, from those worldviews, those meanings are substantially different. Then I started to notice that those gaps between the, the most hardened evidential aspects were not just a gap of evidence and a gap of language, but it was also questions about the integrity of the systems and the tools used to formulate the points between those more um, concrete evidential historical points in which both theism and atheism is constructed. So, for example, if you look at, um, let's just say, the evolutionary process, we have something that's called gradualism and something that is called punctuated equilibrium. 
And the reason that there was a debate between those two aspects is because the fossil record looked like that everything kind of popped up at once. So if you look at something called the Cambrian Explosion, for example, what you would see is that, you know, the, or the Big Bang of Birds, I don't know if you ever heard of that statement or not, but it looked like that the record was not showing gradualism. And so there was arguments between um, materialists in regards to, okay, how does evolution function? And they would use different data points to come up with different conclusions. I became painfully aware at a certain point that I had to avoid the arrogance of minimizing others' interpretations of historical evidence, uh, ancient uh, manuscripts, religions, things like that. And then also avoid the ignorance of misinterpreting evidence for um, the interpretations. Because those lines get blurred really quickly. And so when they do, oftentimes you can, you can kind of see where something transitions if you look for it from a point of fact to where it becomes more of the abstract or the interpretation or in this case the the big gaps between the points of evidence that are more concrete. At one point when I got tired of listening to my intellectual gladiators go into battle and wield their intellectual swords against each other in a debate to try to you know, hash through who's going to win a certain debate or who's going to get the the next biggest, uh, you know, one-liner on their opponent. I became hungry, and I became more hungry to see just the evidences. And so to strip away the, the all the, the interpretations, to strip away all that, and to see, okay, what's really left here if we take away anything that does not fit into the scientific method. What if we take away any of the interpretations, any of the foregone conclusions, what if we just looked at that? And when I started to look at it from that standpoint, it really got kind of boring to be honest with you. Because the actual evidences that are there are very subjective. There's nothing concrete. Then as I started digging more and more into that, what I realized was that the reason that they fought over the subjective, the interpretations between the points of evidence, is because that's where the war is, because it's not a foregone conclusion. Now, we're presented as though it is, and we're presented with graphics, and we're presented with you know, images, and we're presented with this was an ancient hominid, which is just a, a predecessor of a human being. And we're told that these, are, you know, are facts. And then when you look at the actual breakdown of what the physical evidence is versus the creative liberties that are taken and the interpretations that are taken, it's really not that stellar. So after spending time looking um, at creation through both of these lenses and seeing the, the argument and then seeing the evidences 
and then looking at even questions within the tools and the systems that are used to gauge you know long-term ages you know when you look at the way certain things break down over a period of time you know if you consider uniformitarianism you start going through all these concepts and then what you find out is it's not just the, the points of evidence but it's also what can we truly trust objectively and then how much of it does require some intuitiveness now one thing I am going to say immediately is I don't believe that uh, materialist overall are out to to get us or deceive us but I would also argue that someone who studies Hinduism or Judaism or Islam I don't necessarily think they're out to deceive us into something that's not true I think that it's all kind of on the same level there is a bias there is a, there are indoctrinations and if you go back through the previous podcast you're going to see that everyone is subjected to lenses they're subjected to external influences in their life which help them on a path to point them toward a worldview so I decided to take a different approach toward evolution and to wonder you know how true could it be and so what I started to do was look at it through the eyes of a computer programmer and so I've written programs using PHP and MySQL and I worked in HTML and CSS and JavaScript and so I work in different programming languages and I said okay now what would that look like if I was going to write the code for biological life the first stumbling block that I hit was that I realized when anybody builds anything when anyone creates any kind of computer code when anyone does any of this kind of process the first thing that we do is understand the goal of the program before we start writing the program no one ever creates random code or starts building a code and not know what they're trying to do now we do have certain standard uh, items that we use but we would never just start pecking away at a keyboard inserting code without having a path and the ultimate goal in mind now this is where evolution's code is a lot different than anything we create because intuitively a lot of people will think well you know we started here very simply and then over a period of time we got more complex and so when you look at it from those big jumps you think oh, okay this this simple creature got slightly more complicated and then it got slightly more complicated and then now we're at a point where we have humans that are thinking we have hands we have lungs we have all these things but if you take evolution at its core value there's no plan when you look at what impacts evolution what you have to look at is the fact that everything that you see all the symmetry you see the hands the sense of touch the sense of taste your eyes your ears everything had to form randomly without a plan there's no blueprint for a cat there's no blueprint for a fish there's no blueprint for a nematode 
these things all had to just rise through happenstance mutations and then of course there's other factors like sexual selection and things of that nature but when you look at it it's quite miraculous when you think that anything uh, could start from something that is non-living you get these core elements and then something happens and if it's strictly without logic or reason then what you have is you have this something um, that happened that forms a version of something to trigger the beginning steps of biological life and then whatever that was continued in that process and the steps that it made over a period of time through gradual mutations and so when you think of mutations you don't don't think of um, your favorite superhero you need to think of cancer you need to think of mistakes and so the majority of those mistakes obviously would be bad and so they would they would hurt whatever living organism was there but then over a period of time the good ones supposedly built upon themselves and built upon themselves randomly without a goal in mind and we end up with what we have today you know and, and I think that's pretty amazing and uh, from a programming standpoint I find it pretty difficult to come around to that concept the next thing that I ran across was in talking to some people about you know the program and how it would start and then do we have any ideas and as far as I know there's nothing that shows us that basic non-living elements can form to create any semblance of living entities uh, any any kind of formation and trust me I've listened to hours and hours but typically no one knows I mean uh, I forget the uh, movie but there was a movie a while back and uh, Richard Dawkins was interviewed and he says nobody knows how life started nobody gets it he's being very honest no one does get it he's a human it's okay he don't have to know the answers he can still have his worldview but he didn't have the magic bullet in what triggered the event and so I found that I found that pretty interesting and but the next thing I ran into was you know well how did it happen and a lot of people would would point to kind of like this ghost in the machine and would indicate to me that because it's biology because it's living entities that somehow the code would be simpler because it would have external influences it would have different things to kind of help push it along and the more that I researched that the, the more that I found that I couldn't find any answers there either and to me it seemed like that the code was more complex because what you have is essentially you have code you have the software of a living entity and the software makes the hardware and so the hardware would be your physical body for example and so it takes in raw materials the stuff that you eat and then what it's able to do is process that and then it's able to replace, rebuild, redo, 
and heal itself. And not only heal itself, but heal itself consistently. You know, if I cut my thumb, I don't grow uh, a toenail from the cut on my thumb. My thumb is restored essentially to its original condition, barring any scarring or anything really catastrophic. It can pretty much heal itself. And so then I started thinking, okay, how much more complicated is it to have software that takes in raw material, processes the raw material, and then builds its own hardware, maintains its own hardware. And I thought, okay, now that's really kind of crazy. So that, that kind of put me further and further down the rabbit hole. And so I couldn't really turn the corner there. Then I started to look at the external influences. Because, you know, evolution, uh, if it in interacts with the world around us, in order to help us evolve to the environment, then we have a whole other issue. And that is now the same code, not only does it have to work internally, not only does it have to process raw materials, not only does it have to do everything that it looks like it does, but now it has to somehow understand what's going on around it. And then it has to start putting in processes and so there's a mechanism. And so then I started thinking about the amount of code it would take to have the mechanism to react to the original, to, to, to everything going on in order to change. And with its only mechanisms being very limited to trigger those events, because I, as far as I've been able to see, there's not any kind of code identified to say, it's time to grow feathers, and these feathers need to be, you know, ultimately proto-feathers, and then from proto-feathers it needs to go to the complex feathers that you see on uh, modern birds. There's no blueprint for any of that. And so whatever triggered those events, you know, I just find it kind of astounding. And when I would read about how, you know, they would go from like reptile scales and then think they would flake and then say those were I would read these things and I would say ah, this this is ridiculous it, it doesn't make sense to me and so from a programming standpoint I, I just couldn't turn the corner on any of it and when you have the blindness of evolution kicking into it then you seem to have this additional depth you see what I'm saying now there's this this real issue that we have trying to understand exactly how this this blindness would work. Well, I see we're up against uh, about the 23-minute mark. And as you know, I like to keep the podcast around 20 minutes, make them a little digestible. And I want to continue this discussion in the next podcast. Uh, so please stay tuned as we'll link this up and then continue the conversation and uh, I've got a few twists and turns as I'm as I'm going through everything. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be beneficial for our continual discussions. Um, as I mentioned in the last uh, podcast, I do have a place set up on mindlob.com. So if you go to mindlob.com and you wait for a few seconds, you're going to get a little window that pops up and you can plug in your email address. If you plug in that email address, I do have some graphics that are coming up. And as those become available, I want to send those over to you so you can have them as a reference point. I just want to kind of contribute a little bit more to the discussion.
So until next time we meet, thank you so much for listening. I cannot express to you how much I appreciate you listening and allowing me into your home to just present some ideas and thought. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast or visit mindlob.com to learn more.